That is good stuff. Folks, you know this earth is not our home. That's a good place to say amen. This earth is not our home, and no matter what the headlines or the news say last week or next week, it doesn't change the fact that there is a place that there will be no more hatred, no more tears, no more violence, no more fears. May that kingdom come today. May it come today. Uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes there are shows, there are movies that I see the trailer or the picture or whatever for the, the movie or the show, and I immediately go, yeah, I'm not going to watch that. Uh, there's just no way. Kind of, and I know this is probably antiquated phrase, but it just kind of has a chick feel to it. Uh, a chick show of sorts. Can you say that still? I don't know if you can, but I just did. One of those, you know, maybe it's just my personal fears. One of those is Downtown Abbey. I just know that if I start to watch that show, uh, I'm going to start talking with an accent and an English accent. And when I do, then I'm going to want tea in the middle of the afternoon. And if I want tea in the middle of the afternoon, then I'm going to start to drink my tea with a pinky out. And if I do, then my guy friends are going to make fun of me. And so that's why I don't watch Downtown Abbey uh, at all. Uh, but there's sometimes there's movies that are like that too. I'm like, yeah, I'm probably not going to like that movie. Uh, I saw the trailer for this movie actually that we're, we're going to watch today, The Intern. And I immediately thought, eh, I don't know about that one. Uh, but one night we were watching movies, uh, or we wanted to watch a movie. Uh, and so, you know, occasionally, guys, here's just a tip. You need to watch uh, a chick flick with your chick. Uh, and so that's just a freebie right there. Uh, and so we were flipping through, and there was this movie, and I said, well, let's, let's go with that one. And uh, so we did, and something amazing happened. I loved it. I loved it. I hate it when that happens. Uh, I loved it. And there's several things I love about it, and we'll talk about that, but uh, just to, to kind of get you into it, it's all about Robert De Niro and Anne Hathaway, and uh, the intern, Robert De Niro, is actually the intern in the movie. Now, we know De Niro from various movies. Uh, my favorite, I, don't, I definitely don't think you can watch this one in church, but The Godfather, uh, TBS version that's on, uh, you know, there's so many quotable lines from The Godfather, leave the... Cannoli, thank you. I was going to say, leave the gun, take, the, I think it's leave the gun, take the cannoli, and go to the mattresses and, and different things. I don't know what your favorite De Niro movie is, but uh, basically the storyline is this, 70-year-old uh, retired widow, Ben Whitaker, that's De Niro, he sees a flyer for an intern position at an internet startup company called, called All About the Fit, which was started by uh, Anne Hathaway's character, and it's a clothing online uh, site. And so a lot of the movie is this back and forth jabs at generations uh, kind of along the way. And so just to start us off, just want to define and place you in generations and, and feel free to, to raise your hands or not if you're uncomfortable. Uh, there is the generation that's known as the millennials. Uh, and some of these years are a little different. You can see these uh, when you Google things. But if you were born from 1981 to 2000, you are a millennial, if that's you today, go, woohoo! I love skinny jeans and lattes. Yep. Now, the first word that comes to mind when I think of, of this uh, generation, iPhones and social media. Um, then the next generation, I consider it the best generation, uh, Generation Xers. Uh, do we have any Xers out there? 
There you go. Woohoo! Uh, you are known. Uh, we are known for being kind of the MTV generation. Brought that in. The best music and the best looking people uh, were produced during this generation. Then you've got the baby boomers. Uh, that is, if you were born from 1946 to 1965, if that's you. There we go. Now, what's the first word when you think of when you think of the baby boomers? Smart, hippie. <laughs> I did not say any of those. Uh, groovy, groovy baby. Yeah. Some, some names that popped up or some words that popped up uh, definitely came to mind. Workaholics or just hard workers. Uh, Vietnam jumped in when I was Googling that. No. Elvis. <laughs> Woohoo. Then from 27, 1927 to 1945, anybody in, in that generation here today? Yeah, yeah. We don't woohoo, yeah. Because we're real people. We're men and women that. We survived, yes. And, and can we be honest? Known as the greatest generation of our time. And I, yeah. That's a pretty good thing to be tagged with. That's a pretty good thing to be tagged with. And so what you see that throughout this whole movie is these back and forths uh, at each other in these generations. And so for this opening clip, Ben, he found this flyer to be, he, to, basically he's going to be an intern for this company. And so before he can become the inter intern, he has to interview for the position. And so here's uh, Ben interviewing. So I saw an interview with the director of the movie. Uh, her name's Nancy Myers, and she said, you know, a lot of her movies, the way that she directs, is really not pl plot-focused. It's more about character development and character depth. And so that's kind of what I want to focus on uh, for us today. Now, the thing that I love, and I was drawn to this movie, is I love De Niro's character, Ben. He is so lovable throughout this entire movie. There's not like an ounce of cynicism in him. He's just a likable guy that's an encourager. He's comfortable in his skin and who he is. And you're just kind of drawn to who he is within the movie. And i got to be honest, I was inspired by him, but also was kind of... I was kind of poked by the, the character as well. There is a phrase, you can't uh, teach an old dog new tricks. You know that? I am not, I'm, there you go. Apparently, apparently you can. I have a birthday coming up, and I just feel... Can I be honest with you? I got to feel like an old dog sometimes. And I know what you're saying. Some of you in the room are like, I got something older than you. I got, you know, teeth older than you. I got nose hairs older than you in the room. Uh, but there's just something. It, it started a couple of years ago, I think, uh, when I, got, I had a Blackberry. I loved my Blackberry. Uh, do you remember Blackberries way back in the day? And it was the perfect size. They had the little, the, the touch, uh, the, 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 the little digits that I could feel with my thumbs, and it was a great size. It was like, yay, big. Uh, and I would be able to, to email and do different things with it. And then they came out with these iPhones. I was like, I don't want a touch screen phone. I like my phone. I know where everything is. And finally, I was basically kind of pushed uh, to get one. I was kind of almost forced to through, through work. And I get it, and about a weekend, I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. 
And every phone since then has been the same kind of narrative, the same story. I don't want the new, I like my phone. I was thinking about this week when this whole Pokemon thing came out. And you're seeing these people everywhere. They're like, what are these people doing? Somebody's going to walk into a lake or uh, into traffic. I think some of them have. uh, But you immediately see something new like that and you go, I don't know about that. I don't want anything to do with that, that whole kind of kind of thing. I thought that a little bit as well, confessionally, when I saw this advertising for this date night paint, painting class that we were going to have at church. And uh, we had that last night. There was something inside of me that just went, you've never really done that before. Uh, that's not really your thing. Uh, and so there was something inside of me that just kind of cringed and was like, is there any way as the pastor of the church that you can get out of that? Maybe you could come up with something, like a sickness last minute. Uh, but I went, and it was amazing. We had a great time last night, great conversation, great food, great people. And I actually kind of liked the painting part. I, I'm not good at it, but I want to kind of get better at it now. I'm kind of driven that way. But there's just certain things sometimes that just kind of go, eh, there's a line that I just don't want to cross. I don't want to try that. I don't want to do something like, you know, who knows, what things that are new. Never done it before. I'm not going to be good at it. It doesn't really fit into my schedule. I saw a picture on Facebook that somebody posted, and it was this picture about change. And it was, you know, this guy over everyone. I don't know if that's a pastor or who that is, but who wants change? Who wants to change? That kind of feels like us sometimes, doesn't it, if we were honest? And uh, I think Isaiah, and, and, and God's writing or his, his, his words uh, through Isaiah uh, speaks to that as well. And Isaiah 43, 19 through 20, if you have your Bible with us this morning, you can flip to it. It's on the screen. This is the message uh, version of that, that passage. It says this, forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Do we ever want to just stay in the past? old history. Be alert, be present, be in the now. I'm about to do something, this is God talking, brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert, rivers in the badlands. There was a book a couple of years ago, maybe you remember it, Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. It was a great book. Uh, It's about probably 20-something years old now. It's a great book talking about just being in, in relationship and connection with God. And the thing that really just jumps out to me about that book is this. It talks about just the activity of God in the world. And essentially what he says is this, that God is at work all around us. And are we in tune to what he's doing in the world? And if, if we are in tune, we should jump on board and get involved into this activity. You don't have to sit back and wait. He's already working all around us. And the kingdom is already at work all around us. I wonder, and the question I've been thinking about this week as I think about this movie and this passage is this, what kingdom adventures and character shaping have I missed out because of my fear and my excuses? I wonder if there are things that God has been calling me to be a part of that he's at work at, but because I've kind of drawn some lines or said, you know, I just don't know about that. I'm not really going to be good at that. Never done that before. I don't know if I have time for that. But God's at, at work doing something new. And I think he even uses those new things to shape us 
because he's not as worried about the plot as he's worried about your character and who you are becoming and hopefully becoming like Christ. That's what I like about Ben in the movie. He was willing, he's willing to try all kinds of new things, even interning at a company like this. So you saw Jules. Jules is the founder of the company, Anne Hathaway, and uh, she is not exactly excited about the, the prospect or the idea of having an intern. All right, survey question. You're going to share this with your neighbor. Uh, best movie villain of all time. All right, there's a protagonist and there is an antagonist in, in, all, in most movies. Pro is the, the hero, of course. Antagonist is the, the villain. Who's the, the best or like the scariest or the worst movie villain of all time? Share with your neighbor real quick. I'm going to give you my top five. All right, give me a couple of uh, church-appropriate answers. Uh, what's that? Darth Vader. Number five on my list, uh, Darth Vader. Good segue. I like that. Uh, who? The Joker. Old school or new school? Heath Ledger. The new one, Yeah. 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 Anybody else? Hans Gruber from Die Hard. Yes. Yes. With the accent. That was a good accent if you saw that one. All right. Here's my top five uh, villains. Darth Vader, uh, number five. Uh, number four, uh, Ivan uh, Dragov. Is it Drag- Dragon? Or- yeah. The Russian. Big Russian guy from uh, Rocky IV. Uh, by the way, Rocky wins uh, on that one. Uh, number three, uh, the witch from us. When I was a kid, they would show this all the time, and she is so scary. She's so scary, all right? And really bad makeup, but of course, you've got the uh, Cobra Kai, yes, and uh, Johnny is the, the blonde. Put him in a body bag, Johnny, uh, from Karate Kid. And then, let's see, I think we're up to number two, or this is the number one. Jaws, okay? I will not go in the ocean uh, for this very reason. That's scary stuff, people, when there's, you cannot see and underneath and your feet are dangling. And, uh, all right, scary, scary, scary. Has anybody ever been to the Universal Studios Jaws ride before? Yeah. Even that, I know it's not real, but it's still. Well, the movie here, the, in the movie, uh, The Intern, the, the antagonist is not so obvious. The, the antagonist, if you're, you're, you're checking this movie out, is a word that we're, I think we're all familiar with, and we're very much in battle with all the time. It's this word, busyness. Busyness is the, the thing that just wants to destroy many things in the movie, but also in our lives. And you see that with the main character, Jules. I mean, she's got this successful business, but she's just go, go, go all the time, and it's costing her at home, it's costing her with her daughter, in relationships, because she's just so busy, because there's important stuff to do and to maintain, and juggling all these things, and all of these plates that are spinning in life that are, are, are so very important. That, I think uh, Garen mentioned uh, Storyline. There's a website uh, that was started by the, the author there. And uh, you can check that out, just Google Storyline, and 
And, and one of the, the contributors to the, the, the website is a, a lady named Shauna Nyquist. And she says this is a great quote. Busyness is a drug to keep me numb and a defense to keep me safe. And it's this mechanism that all of us can fall prey to where we're constantly pushing people away. And even though we're very close, maybe in proximity to people, and we are interacting with people all throughout our day, we're really quite alone. And there's a lack of connection with people. There's a lack of just being known and seen by someone and heard by someone else. I, I hear this in marriage counseling when people say, I, I just didn't feel connected to that person anymore. We don't even know each other anymore. We don't really talk anymore. And this lack of, 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 of connection that's there. And when we are so busy and things are, are, are so this to that, and, and that's so important, it leads to isolation. And God did not create us. He did not create us for isolation or to push people away. In fact, in the very beginning, the reason why he created us was communion with him, to walk with him, to spend time with him, to connect with this God, this creator that made us. He even came to earth in flesh and blood to connect and have life with us. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, he says this, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he created woman, Eve, created community together. Even Trinity, when we look at God, Spirit, and, and Son, there's this communication, this community that's there. Now, there's some of us that would just immediately kind of push away from that and just say, there's just sometimes I want to be like Tom Hanks on that island with that volleyball. I don't want to have anything to do with people because they're crazy. Um, and I get that. But there is an internal thing, something inside of our DNA that God has placed on us, that we have a, a need for community with him and with others. That's what we've been called to, to, to do and to be and to live out. Now, there's these books in the Bible. It's called Wisdom Literature. It's Job, Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes. And in Ecclesiastes, the author is speaking as a dad to a son. And the, the key word in, in, in throughout the, the scripture is, is this, this word wisdom. So check out this scripture as I read it uh, to you. And think about dad to a son. There was a man all alone. He had nothing, neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For who am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, who one can help the other up? But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. God has this desire for relationship with you, deep relationship with you. And he wants that for us together as a community of believers that you're not living alone, that you are seen by others, not just people that you're related to, but this family of God that we're called to live this life with. So the question I was, I was thinking about this, I was wrestling this week, and even thinking about Jules' character in the movie and how it's just always this, and this lack of trust and lack of letting people in and how it just basically was ruining her life. The questions I had for myself were this, am I receptive to new relationships? deeper relationships? And am I seeking an even deeper relationship 
with God? Or am I just satisfied with status quo, the way they are, the way they are? So Ben starts to make progress here. As Jules' intern, he starts to connect with her and, and gain this trust through different activities, through the, the movie. And then there's this, this kind of cool scene with the two of them together. So have you ever been an intern before? I mean, I mean, since we're talking about the movie. Have you ever done that before at a, a place or a company? Anywhere? Shake your head, yes. Uh, basically, the job of the intern is to get paid diddly squat or... Sometimes you don't get to the squat, uh, and you're there to learn and to consume information, especially about the field that you're, you're, you're going in possibly, and just basically sponge and learn to be like the people that you're interning for. Now, here's the spoiler alert. I'm just going to give it away right now, okay? Spoiler alert for the movie. I know that you hate this, okay? But the ironic twist of the entire movie is this. He is the intern, but he's the one that's teaching the entire movie, okay? He is the one that he's learning about Facebook. He's learning about some things in that business world specifically, but he is teaching everyone in the office about life, about relationships, about just various character development things. And so they easily could have named this movie The Mentor instead of The Intern because that's what he becomes the all the characters in the movie, especially there's three other intern guys that are really struggling, and uh, so here's a little bit of, a, uh, of that going on. Proverbs 4 says this, my father taught me, take my words to heart, follow my commands and you will live, get wisdom, develop good judgment, don't forget my words or turn away from them. Turn, don't turn your back on wisdom, for she will protect you. Love her, and she will guard you. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. If you prize wisdom, then you will make, she will make you great. Embrace her, and she will honor you. She will, she will place a lovely wreath on your head. She will present you with a beautiful crown. Wisdom is so valuable, it's even personified in this passage in Proverbs. And this desire to, to gain uh, wisdom from others. There was a, there's a group called uh, the Fuller Youth Institute at Fuller Seminary in California, and a few years ago they developed a project uh, for youth, and essentially the project was all about studying why in the world we have a generation of kids that are leaving the church. And essentially the stats, and they're kind of varying, but we'll hone in on this one. At the age of somewhere in the college years, some sophomore year, junior year of college, about 75% of kids that regularly attend church when they are in their youth years leave the church. 75%. Just ponder that for a second. 75. So we had, we had 15 kids graduate this last year. What's 75% of 15? 12. Thanks. So that means only three kids in two or three years will be in the church. And so this study was all about what can we do to make faith sticky, to have faith stick to our students. And so there's a lot of great things in the book. I encourage you, if you're a parent, to get it. There's actually a website, stickyfaith.org, and you can check it out. But some things are suggested that, that have proven over time where kids will stay at the church if they are serving regularly within the church. 
They will, they will stick if they are a part of intergenerational conversations in worship. Can I tell you, I have a small badge of honor, uh, and I'm sharing this as friends. Don't go out and share this everywhere. But we have a Google review, and by the way, we would love for you to come to review, you know, Houston First Church, if you want to go on Google or Yelp or one of those places, we'd love your feedback, and we'd love especially five stars or ten stars or whatever they have on these different things. There's one, we have a bad, we've had a review. Uh, several years ago, I talked to the person in person, and they basically expressed to me why they dislike our church. And the comment was this, teens are expected to be in big church with adults. A few years ago, I made that, that call as a youth pastor that we would have students a part of worship, that they would sing with us, they would hear God's word, that they would interact with us generationally. And one of the main reasons we made that decision is because of this very study, that with intergenerational conversations that there is learning that happens. A story that I've told you now a couple of times, but it's just stuck with me now. The CFO of Halliburton, uh, is a, and I don't know if he's still with the, the company or the group, he was given a devotional. He talked about one Sunday he was at church here in town. And he comes to church, he happens to run into one of his administrative assistants that's in the congregation. And she comes up and introduces herself again, just says, hey, you know, hi, it's great to see you. This is my, my, my boyfriend. He's new to church, introduces himself, they, they interact, they go to worship. They sing songs like we did that day. They, they hear God's word. They interact with each other. There's, there's church. A couple of weeks later, she comes up to the gentleman at Halliburton and basically says this, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you did for my boyfriend. And he is just confused. What do you mean? We just spoke for a few seconds. And he says this, she says this, when you met him that day, he went back to his seat and you went to yours and he did not take his eyes off of you the entire service. Didn't look at the pastor. He watched you. He watched the way you worship. He watched the way you opened God's word and you were taking notes and then you were, you were praising God and you were singing and he knew in that moment that it was real, this thing called faith. Man, I thought about that several times. What if somebody was watching me in here, would they know it's real? Would they know it was real out there if someone was watching me all the time? Have, have we invited people into our lives? There is this, within the study as well, in, in, in youth ministry, there's always these ratios. In children's ministry, well, you have to have X amount of adults to go with X amount of kids to different events, like eight to one or five to one or whatever it is. Within the book, this is what it talks about. If somebody wants sticky faith, for faith to last, you need to flip the ratio, okay? Instead of five kids for every adult that goes and is involved, we need five adults for every kid to be investing and mentoring and showing our kids and our students what it looks like, what real faith looks like in the world. That it means inviting into, into life, inviting in to, to, to seeing and watching. So I've been reflecting on this this week as I thought about that five to one. And I gotta be honest, there, we are in a generation that are starved for mentors and people that are able to say, follow me. 
And as I looked about my life, I thought, man, I have been so, I've been so blessed. And I don't know if you're having this conversation in your mind right now, the people that have invested in you, but I just began to think about it. And, and of course, I thought about my dad, and he taught me how to uh, eat cupcakes, and um, he taught me so much more, though. He taught me how to pray, to love God, and family, and humility. He, he worked all day as a teacher. And, he, and he'd go home to a lawn-cutting business that he would go and cut grass in the afternoons. And he would still spend time with his family and show us what it looked like to be a Christ follower. Remember Bobby, he was a Sunday school teacher in, in the little church in Selma that I grew up. And uh, Bobby showed me uh, what it looked like to love Alabama football. And I'm probably a big fan because of that. But also to love God's word and to love the church. There was my youth pastor, David Winchester, who is about as opposite from me as you can think of, uh, really, uh, just personality-wise, but he showed me what it looked like to have Christ-like relationships with other people. And he was constantly pushing me out of my comfort zone, stretching me to try and to do new things, to try drama, to actually speak on a Wednesday night in front of my peers, to do all these things that were kind of calling me out. There's Dale who was my college pastor when I was in Nashville. And at a time that it was a pivotal time in my life, he was present and gave me opportunities to lead and, and really have conversations that I needed to have. There was my professor, Steve Hoskins, who let me ride in his convertible, and, which was awesome, and uh, invited me to his house and into his life. And he would push and prod me on faith issues but he also helped me and, and, and gave me confidence in a call to ministry. There are the Harveys um, that are there, uh, Rick and Jan, uh, that uh, just have loved me. I lived in their house for, for two summers for free other than having to watch their cats, which was, was a joy. Uh, <laughs> but I lived in their house for free. They fed me. They're both, they're both family psychologists. And they showed me what it was like to have relationships with women and how I should treat a woman in real life, not just a, a kitty relationship and family. And, and they demonstrate that love for each other. There's Hugh King, the pastor in Vero Beach, who showed me what it looked like to be a, a real leader, a servant leader, hard work and crisis management moments. There's my buddy, Mr. Tom, who has never been a pastor, who was a steel worker, retired steel worker that could just eat anything, a bottomless stomach, but is so selfless, a servant, just compassionate, would do anything for you, would go miles and miles for you. There's Jamie, who is also a psychologist of a school district, and he is the best listener that I've ever seen. Taught me about what it looks like to listen and to care for people and to have a good time and to have fun and to be a Christian that could, could have fun with his family and with others. There is uh, my buddy Jeffrey, uh, who I discovered looks uh, just like uh, Wesley from uh, The Princess Bride. Don't tell him I posted that picture. Uh, I pretty much think if you put it on Facebook, it's just out there for uh, consumption. Um, but Jeffrey, a lot of you know Jeffrey. Uh, he was the pastor before me. He... He's demonstrated to me just an open-handed life where anything that's his is yours. 
and an open table and generosity and just open-handed grace with people. And I could go on and on and on. There's, there's countless people in this room that have been mentors to me. Who has mentored you? Who has mentored you? There's this verse that I, it, maybe it's a life verse for me, I don't know. It's 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, here's the question I've thought about with that. Who is mentoring you right now? It's a question that we were called to ask in the Church of the Nazarene a few years ago, and, and who are you mentoring? Or, or said this way, who is discipling you, and who are you currently discipling? And maybe the answer is, I don't have anyone on both sides of that, that question. And maybe you're saying, no, 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 no. I don't really want people to, to follow me. There's some things that I don't want them to follow. Can I just throw this out there? That's not really an option. People are following you no matter what you think or say. There are people watching you all the time. There are little eyes, there's little ears, there's big eyes and big ears that saying, this is what it looks like to be a Christian. And, and, and here's something that's a little harder, and I've thought about the, this this week, when you think about fears and excuses with discipleship. There are many of us that have been in the church for decades and are afraid to, to, to tell others about Christ. This should not be. Last clip, and it's actually, we're going to kind of reverse it. We're going to reverse it today. This is the very first clip of the entire movie, and it's my favorite clip of, of an all. And it's the, the, the show, it's the part where he is giving this video kind of resume. There is a, a hole in my life, and I need to fill it soon. I need to fill it soon. So an intern, uh, I think there's a, kind of a biblical word for it, disciple. You know what Jesus would do? He would see people, and a lot of times it was the people that had been kind of throwaways of society, people that were unqualified. And as a rabbi of the day, you would see rabbis that are all around the city, and there would be just kind of ducklings that were around them. And the, the job of the disciple and the rabbi, the rabbi being teacher, is essentially the disciples would do what the rabbi would do and say, and sit at the feet of the rabbi. And maybe you saw that new video, Dust, that even the dust of the rabbi would, would be on them. They would be so close to the rabbi disciples would, as the, the teacher would teach, would, would follow exact, the exact example that they were seeing lived out in front of them. And so when Jesus would come up to someone, he would say this, follow me. Follow me. What he was saying is this, I want you to be like me. There's a, a phrase that has become kind of, well, I don't even know how to describe it anymore. It's this word Christian. It's become almost like a demographic, Christians, that we kind of, some people wear and occasionally go to church and hope to get to heaven one day, I think. But I think there's a, a difference between just having a Christian as this, this 
labeled and being a disciple of Jesus Christ. A Christ follower, someone that's saying, I am going to be an inter- I'm going to be like you, and I'm not going to let that process start, stop until one day I am with you physically. So this morning, uh, just an invitation today. This is our, our response. Uh, we're going to go to the Lord's table, and, and, and maybe the action steps for you today are you've heard several questions. Maybe you want to process that this week. Who are you discipling? Who's discipling you? Maybe you need to put that into action. Maybe your next step is you need to take a step of being a part of a life group here where you're living life with others. This, this journey of faith together. We have a, a life group kickoff on August 14th. We're going to be starting life groups again. Maybe you need to be serving. We have this thing called being a stakeholder here. In August, we're going to have a stakeholders meeting. What does that mean? basically means that I'm not just someone here that comes on Sunday morning and leaves at, at, as soon as the last amen. I'm a part of this community. I want to see the kingdom grow in this community. I'm an investor in our kids and in others here. I'm going to live life with others here. That means you're serving, that you're in a life group, that you're a part of worship. And I'd love for you to be a stakeholder, not just an attender here. Maybe that's the response today that you say, man, I'm going all in. I'm getting in. Maybe today as we come to the table this morning, maybe the response is this. Jesus was with his disciples. That's what they were, disciples. They gathered together around a table, and they took these elements, this bread and this cup. And Jesus said this, I'm inviting you. I've been inviting you to follow me. And I'm doing that again at this table. Are you a disciple? Are you a follower of me? When you take these elements, you are saying, I want to be like you, Jesus. And I don't want that process to stop. It doesn't matter what age or generation you are in in this room. I want to be like you this morning. So I invite you this morning. The band's going to play. I'm going to invite some uh, friends. They're going to be the first to serve us. And what we're going to do is serve each other this morning. The first person's going to come up. We're going to take by intention this morning. All you do is you grab a piece of bread and you dip it in the cup, and then you're going to eat. And once you do that, you take the cup and the bread and you serve the person behind you. We serve each other. Christ to serve us. And so we remember that on the night that, that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his disciples, and he took bread, he took a cup, and he blessed the bread, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken about it every single time when I look at this cup I look about the, the color of red there I know that he must have paused in that moment to think what was to come when he said this is my blood which was shed for you for your sins so this morning as we come to the table I invite you to follow him to follow him table is open. Come as you feel led this morning.